Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity, CISO Thursday. Today, we have not just a CISO, but a CEO of uh, ByteCheck coming to share his journey through coming into cybersecurity and setting up his organization. I've been wanting to get him on for the longest time and finally was able to get the scheduling um, all resorted. AJ, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, give us a little bit about your background? Thanks, Chris. I, uh, I'm happy to be here. I know it's uh, it's been a while that we've been trying to get this happening, and and you and I have been connected on LinkedIn for a while and have talked a lot. So it's uh, it's it's great to to finally get a chance to do this. So yeah, for those that don't know me, I'm AJ Yan. I'm the founder and CEO of ByteCheck. I started my cybersecurity career in the U.S. Army, like a lot of cyber professionals. I'm a, I'm a military veteran. I, I did six years in the Army as an Army officer, um, ended up earning the rank of captain, did a few deployments and all of that, um, realized I didn't like sleeping outside that much, and uh, got, out of the, got out of the military and went and worked at a cybersecurity compliance firm called uh, Coal Fire Systems. And uh, while there, I was um, able to grow into a significant leadership position and, and get exposed to all things compliance and all things AWS. And um, first kind of piece of advice I would tell anyone that has helped me out tremendously in my career is I looked around and I realized that most of our customers while I was there at Coal Fire were hosted on AWS, but we didn't have a ton of people that knew a lot about AWS. So I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'm going to go learn AWS. I'm going to go learn everything there is about AWS. And it kind of became an obsession uh, of mine to just focus on the cloud and learn as much as I could about cloud security, which was one of the best decisions I've ever made, uh, is is just picking up and learning that technology. And then after a few years there, I realized that um, I was not fulfilled by titles or money or anything else, that I really wanted to do something that was bigger than myself and bring some of that selfless service back that I had in the military so I decided to launch a startup, and then we've been building a cybersecurity compliance automation um, company that helps people earn SOC 2s and ISOs and all those other alphabet soup frameworks we do on our platform. It's, it's, and it's been a fun journey. Let's kind of go back to its infancy. Um, in the military, how did you see your skills that you learned there transfer over to the, the civilian side? Because often... That, that's some of the struggles that we see that military veterans have. What was your approach to that? Yeah, I, I'm fortunate that my father served in the military in the Marine Corps for 20 years. Uh, so when I was deciding to get out, my dad um, told me, like, hey, you're going to need 18 months to prepare to get out. And I'm like, Pops, you're crazy. I, I'm an officer. You know, I got a couple master's degrees. I I've been working in tech. I'm going to get a job easily. It's going to be the easiest thing ever. He's like, all right, cool. Go go apply for some jobs and, and see what kind of feedback you get. I went out and applied for a few jobs. I didn't even get a decline. I didn't even get a response that, <laughs> that I wasn't qualified for the job. Um, they didn't even reply to me. Um, so uh, my, what my dad was trying to tell me is that a lot of the things you do in the military don't have a direct one-to-one -one translation to the civilian world. Uh, at least on paper. They do, but you have to figure out a way to translate those skills to where a civilian employee understands them. Um, so what I did, I focused, you know, all of 2016, I just went around and got a bunch of certifications um, because I knew I knew the stuff. I knew I understood how to do certain things, but the tools and technologies we use in the military are not the same tools and technologies you use outside the military. So it's very hard to have a civilian employer truly understand like what is the 
uh, what did you actually do? So I got a bunch of certs to that would um, translate those skills over to um, the civilian side. Uh, and, and that was my focus. And, and then, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of military folks forget about when they transition out is their leadership skills. Um, my leadership skills were so important and have been so important uh, in my career and the ability to lead people, have tough conversations and, and just um, not be afraid to stand up and say things. And especially in a cyber compliance space, you got to go out and stand in front of a CISO or a CEO and say what you're doing is wrong. Uh, and you got to have the ability to stand up and do that. And the military helped me out a lot there. But I would say the biggest thing is figuring out how do I how did I translate the stuff I was doing in the army? to where a civilian employer would understand it because they don't understand all the three letter acronyms that we use in the army. You got to really start to speak their language on your resume and your interview process and all of that. Up, oh, you're muted, Chris. Oops. I just want to give a big shout out to Professor Roger, who's joining us as well. Um, Hello, uh, AJ, how you doing? Hey, Professor Roger, how are you? Okay, Sharing. it's a pleasure, definitely a pleasure to meet you. You too sharing some comments. Um, Al, hey, it's AJ, um, Professor Roger, now on. Um, hello, everyone. Good afternoon from Jonathan. And yeah, fellow, from Z Jonathan is a uh, member of Bike Check. He's a Bike Check-in, so it's, uh, it's, it's good nice. to see him there. And it's another military member that um, successfully has transitioned into the cybersecurity space. And um, Jonathan's story is pretty amazing. He's, he's one of our uh, strongest uh, governance risk and compliance engineers at Bitecheck right now and someone our customers constantly rave about. And um, he definitely was not in cybersecurity in the Army, but he put a lot of work in and, and did a lot to set himself up for success in his transition. And I think that's the important piece of the military transition is you got to own it. Um, the the Army's not going to help you. Uh, you know, you're not going to have all these people lining up to give you jobs because you serve and your service is great. And I and I thank everybody that has served in the military and made that sacrifice. But you really have to own your transition. And that's something that Jonathan has just done an amazing job of. And we're super grateful to have him there. Oh, that's great. And that's a great um, comment you made. You got to own your transition. I don't think that's being um, propagated in the military. I, I think the the I guess the message that's being told is once you leave military, you know, you, you be there's there'll be a parade for you and you know, right? Because uh, it seems like you know I work with a lot of vets and they seem shocked, you know, like what I gotta do what, you know, right? So, so yeah, and then there's a lot of organizations that kind of take advantage of that yeah. and don't really have true vet services. So, yeah, you, that, that. Another comment cool. here, it sounds like the military personnel have the same challenges as transitioning teachers. And I, I, I'd say that goes for anyone transitioning right. into this field. Um, you, you have these challenges. So, so AJ, I've seen um, over the months that you've, you've created a pipeline uh, of talent that was otherwise potentially not given the, the, the recognition that they need and you, you really created value talent. Um, as a CEO, how do you go about doing, recognizing that talent and creating that pipeline? Yeah, I think um, one of our core values at Bike Check is we don't take ourselves too seriously. 
And, and that starts with me. You know, I, I don't think that um, what we do is so challenging and is so hard that I got to find this unicorn of a person that knows all of the things. I, I think the funny thing about cybersecurity and hiring and, and the problems we have is that if you talk to anybody that's in cybersecurity, they'll tell you that this field is really challenging and you have to be willing to learn every day. And the chances are whatever you learn in your cert, whatever you learn in school, whatever you learn in your prior job, you're going to have to relearn new things wherever your next job is. And everybody's like, yeah, that's that's cybersecurity. That's the way it works. But then when you go to hire, you want somebody with the exact same experience that you're hoping for. And it's like, well, we know that they're going to have to learn new stuff anyways. And, and we've really over indexed on people. Um, and just finding the right people, finding the right people that want to be here, but also like have the the necessary mentality to learn, to to have the grit to go through things. And I, you know, I'd say we've had a ton of success. Uh, there's a my LinkedIn post today is a story that came out recently about a former bike check in, and we call ourselves bike check in. So if you keep hearing me say that, uh, that's just bike check team members. Uh, he he was, and 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 this is the hard, this is the weird part about this field is like. The guy's name is Nick McLaren. He had a degree in cybersecurity. He had an AWS cert, had another, I think he had the CISA plus, he had security plus. So, you know, on paper seems pretty qualified, but he couldn't get a job, could not get it, not even an internship. You know, people were um, making him do some crazy stuff for internships. And I was mentoring him at the time. And, I, and then I was like, look, man, you want to get into cloud security? You want to come do an internship with us and, and do some cloud security? And, um, you know, it was a $20 an hour internship, but he turned that into a full-time role at ByteCheck. And now he's a VP cloud security engineer at Truist Bank, um, you know, less than two years later after starting that internship. And there's so many people out there like that, that are just looking for their first opportunity. And then once you give it to them, they take off. You know, Nick accomplished some stuff here in our AWS account that I saw people making announcements about that their whole teams were doing. And he's one person doing it here. Um, And it's because he was hungry, because he wanted to learn. And my whole philosophy has always been about people. Um, as, as who you are as a person, what can I rely on you? Do you have the grit it takes? Because being at a startup is very difficult. It's not a corporate environment. You know, you're not going to have a bunch of policies and procedures. A lot of it's just like, hey, you got to go figure that thing out. <laughs> we'll see if it works. Um, and you got to have that mindset. So I I think um, for me, it's it's been over-indexing on people and then not really caring about resumes, you know, not caring about what school you went to what search you may have or what you don't have is just like, are you actually doing the stuff that you say that you're interested in? You know, uh, and, and that doesn't mean you have a job. Maybe it's you're doing labs. Maybe you're posting on on LinkedIn. I remember during we we, we hired somebody and they, he met with a member on our team and they said, hey, one of the things you have to do in your first 30 days is to get AWS cloud practitioner. Before his interview with me, he got AWS cloud practitioner. And I'm like, oh, you're the guy like you I know exactly what type of person you are. So you definitely should be here. And it's just like that's the that's the thing that I think a lot of employers should focus on. And I would say you we are going to continue to have a cybersecurity talent shortage unless we start hiring diverse people and people from diverse backgrounds. Um, if you continue to try to hire the way that the industry is currently built with the demographics that it is, we're going to continue to have jobs unfilled. You, you got to go out and find people that don't look like everybody else on your team, that don't come from the same schools or same backgrounds. If not, we're going to continue to have a job shortage. And uh, one of the comments from, from our viewers, some people thrive in those kinds of environments. And I would add that I, I love that you recognize that talent will come and go and they will grow while you're there oh, while yeah. giving you value. 
And I think some people focus on, well, if I train them and they leave, I lost that investment. That the whole goal is that you recoup their investment before they leave. And if you manage them properly, you're able to double, triple your investment in the time that you're there before they go somewhere else. Yeah. And I mean, I think, too, there's a lot of employers forget that when someone leaves your organization and they go work somewhere else, they are now a champion of your company. They are now that person that's going to tell others about your company. They're going to tell their people about using your service. So you treat people well, regardless of if they're working, you know, uh, at your company or not. And I tell everybody check in. My goal is for them to have personal success. I want them to be successful. I want them to be happy personally and professionally. And if it's if it's at Bike Check, amazing. And I want them here as long as possible. But if it's at somewhere else, we're going to support you um, in your transition. We're going to support you to help you find another gig. And it's not going to be any hard feelings for for what you for for leaving um, uh, for from any stretch of the imagination. And I think you you can't. I I I've seen that quote where people are like I don't want to train up somebody and then they leave. Um, and it's just like, that's just the worst mentality to have. Yeah. Uh, you don't own people. <laughs> they can they can go work somewhere else. You, you're, you, you should be training people because you believe in them as a person and you believe in getting more qualified people in this industry. And if you treat people well enough, um, they're going to stay. You know, part of the reason why um, Nick left was because he could get paid a lot more money somewhere else than he could at Bite Check. And, I, and, and when he first told me that people were hitting them up, he was like distraught. It's like, oh, man, like I... I feel some some loyalty to you. I don't want to leave. And I'm like, man, don't worry about that. Like, do not care about that at all. Like, if you're getting those type of offers, you're not going to get paid that here <laughs> because we are a startup. So go get that money that somebody else is offering you. And I want him to be successful. It's not it's not about buy check. That goes back to us not taking ourselves too seriously. I don't I don't think I can, you know, I'm obviously running the company, but we can't hire every person in the world. So there's going to be people that have to work at other companies and I want, you know, as many people as possible that look like me to get into this field and to have success. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great attitude to have. Um, uh, because, yeah, you don't want your staff to be, um, you know, where they feel like they're trapped and then they have to ghost you, right? <laughs> like, exactly. They disappear and you're like, where did they go? Yeah. So, yeah, that's great that you, uh, as, as a startup, sometimes you have to be a startup for their career too. Exactly. Right. And then let them go. And then you build that network. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with the network you built. Right. Uh, I see you on LinkedIn. I see what you do. What made you, what click, when did that click that you said, you know what, LinkedIn is a good platform to do this. Because as a CEO, right, I mean, basically what you're doing really has nothing to do with your company right. per se, right, your day-to-day. What made you re- want to do, uh, reach out in LinkedIn and build that network? Yeah, they say that a, uh, a crisis makes you do things that you probably should have been doing anyways. And uh, the pandemic popped up right at the time that I was starting my check. And uh, my plan with Bite Check, and if you read any startup books, they say, get out the building, go talk to customers, go build it, uh, a brand where people will know that you know what you're talking about. You know the space that you're, the product that you're building in. And the pandemic showed up and there was no building to get out of. There was nowhere to go to go talk to people. So I was like, all right, like I got to figure out a way to make sure that not just my family and friends um, know that I know about cybersecurity and compliance. 
Um, so I started to get active on LinkedIn. And, and the other piece about it that I realized as I left my last company, you know, a lot of folks that were working with me were, you know, pretty sad. And they were telling me, which I didn't really understand, I didn't really know as I was just going through my day to day, but they were telling me about the impact I was having on them professionally. Um, and, and I realized that that is something that's really important to me is giving back and being able to be open to mentoring people, especially other veterans or or other young black men that are trying to break into this field. And I knew LinkedIn, I was a place I could do it at scale. Uh, I could, I could be able to, to, to give back at scale and share some of the things that I've learned. So I really just like studied the algorithm um, very intently. When I realized it was more science than art, I was like, all right, I can get behind this. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not really like a big social media guy. I, I'd honestly much rather, you know, be a ghost um, on the Internet <laughs> and, and no one ever really uh, know that I'm around. But obviously, in my position, I can't do that. So it was it was kind of forced to get on LinkedIn. But it's, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made, uh, because um, one of the things that I am really passionate about is just being super transparent and authentic about the journey about, you know, being a dad, being a founder and how hard this is and the mental challenges that come with it. I talk a lot about mental health because a lot of men do not talk about mental health. They hide some of the mental struggles that they're going through. And I realized that I have a platform. I used to be one of those folks that didn't really care about job titles and be like, whatever, man, like job title doesn't matter. But I realized that my title, even though like if you think about it, it's the least earned title I've ever had, you know, other other titles I've earned through promotions. But I just called myself a CEO one day. Like no one, no one deemed me the CEO. Like I just said I'm a CEO. So like I didn't really earn this title, but nonetheless, like I understand that it matters. Like being a CEO matters, and to other people, and if me stepping up and saying like, "Hey, I'm sad," or "I have some anxiety," or "I was depressed," shows somebody else that's a security analyst that hey, I can feel the same way too, um, and I can go through those same things. I knew that I wanted to do that and do it at scale. So. Um, a lot of it was giving back. It was like I wanted to make sure I can give back to people at a, at a high level. But also I knew I needed to build a really strong brand for ByteCheck to be successful. And, and LinkedIn has been a huge key to our success. I would tell anybody that's breaking into cybersecurity, if you are not actively posting, commenting on LinkedIn, you are leaving a lot of opportunities on the table. You are leaving a lot of chances on the table because the cybersecurity community and then the ability to network and skip some of the BS that happens in the um, recruiting process where you got to go through these ATS systems and recruiters that don't really understand. You can skip all of that by just connecting and directly with hiring managers and building those relationships. Um, And and Chris, we definitely can do another 30 minute session or so. And I can share all things LinkedIn that I've learned that I I usually, I have a few mentor mentees. uh, Zanette Zanette, who's in here is one of my mentees that I share like a lot of the LinkedIn tips and strategies. Um, with them uh, because it's just a platform that I think a lot of folks, especially folks breaking into security are not taking advantage of. Um, and it's such a huge opportunity to, to do it. But Professor Rogers, to answer your question and come to come back to the question is it was forced. Uh, the pandemic forced me to get active on LinkedIn, but I'm glad I did it. You know, I resulted in me being a LinkedIn top voice in 2020. I was in the LinkedIn creator accelerator program uh, earlier this year. Um, I have a LinkedIn learning course coming out, I think, in a couple of days. Uh, nice. So LinkedIn has been a huge, yes. huge platform for me. And I encourage anyone to get active on this platform and use it to their advantage. Right. Oh, and, oh, um, um, oh no, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. I, I was going to say, in thinking about your transition from the military to civilian, from creating something out of nothing, 
how do you go about i mean grc is one of the sometimes least interested field in uh cybersecurity. so how, how do you go about like interest getting folks interested in that and promoting that as as a possible field for them to consider because i i know like i recommend it all the time because folks never consider it but like to, to get talent and to develop your pipeline, uh, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think governance risk and compliance just gets a bad rap because people think like auditor, they think Toby from the office uh, and they think it's just going to be like this really dry and boring experience. But one of the cool things that I've learned about compliance is that you touch every aspect of the business. You get to learn so much about the business and you are an important piece of that business as well. And one of the cool things about it is that the technical barrier to entry for GRC is much lower than any most other fields in cybersecurity. You know, you want to go be a pen tester, you're going to have to get your hands dirty and go get your hands on the keyboard. And, and some folks just don't have that skill set to do things like that, where GRC is really, there is a lot of transferable skills. I know we have a teacher in here. There's a lot of transferable skills from what she does as a teacher on a day-to-day -day basis that works in compliance, because a lot of what you're doing in compliance is educating. You're educating your security professionals on what they need to do from a compliance perspective. You're educating HR on how they got to onboard and offboard people. You're just going out and teaching people things. Um, so I think for me, the way that I've gotten folks excited about it is, is education. Uh, you know, the more knowledge people have, the more they realize what is the day-to-day -day look like in a GRC role, the better that they'll feel about um, getting into it. Um, but also, I, I I think it's uh, it's 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 exposure. You know, it's it's people just oftentimes they hear cyber, cyber, cyber. I want to break into cyber. And then the first thing you hear is I want to be a pen tester. And I'll tell you a lot of folks like there are so many different paths into cybersecurity. You don't have to just do pen testing. That is not the only option. There are so many different avenues. Um, and I really have come come about it from a cloud perspective. I tell anybody that you're breaking in, learn the cloud learn cloud security because you, it's, chances are you're going to be working at a company that's either hosted on the cloud or all of their customers are hosted on the cloud. So you're going to deal with the cloud uh, and you're going to deal with the cloud on a regular basis. And the more you learn about the cloud, the more it's easier to paint that picture of what does compliance actually mean uh, for, for companies. Um, and it's, I, I know it, it gets a bad rap and people think it's boring, but I, for some reason, I really enjoy it. Uh, I think it's a fun field. You do get to interact with a lot of people. It's probably the most people-oriented segment of cybersecurity, I would say, um, of where you're constantly dealing with people. You're constantly talking to people. So if you're someone that likes to talk to folks and enjoy spending time with people across the business, compliance is the field for you. But, you know, I think... I think people started to like CGRC and they see me talking about it and they see other folks in the field talking about it and realize it's not a bunch of folks like Toby from the office. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're cybersecurity professionals and some of us are fairly technical like myself and some of us are not. Um, and, and, and that's the cool part about it is you can be really successful being technical or not. I encourage folks to get some technical skills because it, it will improve your odds of being successful. But um, it's not a requirement, which is a great part for folks that are transitioning from other fields to get into it. Yeah, and, th and that's a great message. Um, you don't have to be technical to get into the cybersecurity field, right? There are non-technical jobs. GRC is one of them. Also, I, I preach from the Raptors, I mean, from the from the mountaintop that GRC is, uh, cybersecurity is 90% GRC, 10% technical. 
right? Right. You don't buy a, a company is not going to buy a firewall because it's pretty. It's right. going to buy a firewall because the GRC said they had to. Like for example, P, PCI. PCI says you have to have a firewall, so companies buy a firewall. So the technical part is not even important to companies. It's yeah. the regulations and the compliances. Yep. I was just telling somebody about that earlier is that compliance really sits in the middle. And it's why I'm excited about bite check because all the tools that people buy in the cybersecurity industry, they're buying because somebody told them to do it. And chances are that somebody is, uh, is a compliance person or some compliance framework. The government, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, chances are you're buying that vulnerability tool because you got to comply with some regulation. You buy, you're doing a pen test because you got to comply. So compliance really sits in the middle. And one of the things that I really, really enjoyed when I was a compliance consultant, everything I read about in those certifications, all the tools I was seeing, I was seeing it live on a day-to-day basis because I was going out to these companies and I would one day I'm dealing with somebody using Splunk. The next day I'm dealing with Datadog. The next day I'm dealing with Alien Vault. And I'm now starting to see all of the things that I was learning about cybersecurity in real life and how they're using them and seeing the data from it. And it just exposes you to so much where it's very hard in any other segment of cybersecurity to get exposed to the wide range of tools and the wide range of the business um, that you are. Most cybersecurity professionals are going to be siloed, focusing solely on cyber. Where GRC, you got to go talk to legal. You got to go talk to the vendor people. You got to go talk to executives. You got to move around the entire organization. And for folks that are looking to be CISOs at some point, you need to get some compliance experience. Uh, because as a CISO, that is going to be the thing you're going to be brought in front of the board to talk about is, are we compliant with these regulations? Because the thing about compliance that I enjoy and anybody that wants a good job security should enjoy there is a direct business impact to earning a compliance certification. There are deals on the line, sometimes millions and millions of dollars on the line. If you let in the healthcare space or the or the payment space, if you let your cert expire, you're going to lose customers like immediately. Um, so there is business impact to what you're doing. So if you want to do something that you immediately feel that impact, GRC is one of those places. AJ, earlier you mentioned that um, everything's going towards the cloud. What's your view on GRC as code and how companies need to evolve uh, in that direction? Yeah, I think um, all of GRC needs to become more automated. A big part of what we're doing at Byte Check is just automating the compliance process and automating a lot of the technical evidence. There's no reason why a human should need to look and see if you're secure on AWS, that we have enough technology out there to to do that for us um, and, and see that. So I think when companies are thinking about how do I make compliance easier? You know, we often hear about the CICD pipeline and shifting security left and, and doing things earlier on in the process. We need to talk about shifting compliance left. Um, how do we inject compliance in the earliest stages of an organization and doing GRC as code? And one really um, good example, and I'll try to remember after this to drop a link into the comments here of some videos I have on YouTube of using, um, you know, some very simple uh, code to do things to, to protect yourself from a compliance perspective. Uh, to where now, when a company, when a or when somebody in your company spins up a new S3 bucket on AWS, it's not public. Even if they make it public, you automatically revert it to private so that that data doesn't get out there for someone else. And that's the power of GRCS code is where you enforce these guardrails to stop people from doing bad things. Uh, because we can't. We all hear about how humans are the weakest link. Humans are the weakest link in cybersecurity. So if we all know that, 
we all know that humans are going to continue to make mistakes and we're not going to be able to create perfect humans. We should probably put some systems in place to stop humans from making those mistakes um, and at least stop the known threats. You know, we can't stop the ones that we don't know, but we do know we don't want credit cards to be publicly exposed in an S3 bucket. So we can stop that from happening. Right. And I think that's where GRC as code comes into play. And if you're a GRC professional, the main thing you should be thinking about is how do I automate some of this stuff? How do I take away the manual aspect? Because chances are there's two problems with manual evidence in GRC. One, it's probably not technically accurate anymore uh, because you're grabbing a screenshot of something. And who knows if that screenshot is actually the legit thing. The other, the other piece is it is a waste of time for your people to go out there and manually get that information um, where they can automatically pull it in and you can get some more continuous monitoring. You're not wasting time. Cybersecurity professionals are hired to think. You are hired to use your brain. You are not hired to just be a taskmaster and check off things. And the more we automate compliance, the more you're going to be able to actually use your brain and, and look more proactively and not be in this reactive state. Um, and then the cool thing about compliance, if you automate it, when it comes time for the audit, it's so much easier. You just get to just generate the report really quick and give it to the auditor and move on. And you don't have to go through this kind of back and forth with auditors and um, and, and see all that. So I think I think the space uh, is going to continue to evolve. You know, obviously, there's there's a ton of competitors that we compete against that are doing compliance automation. And I think you'll see more and more companies that are going to try to enforce compliance uh, frameworks as code or, or doing other things that are shifting it more left into the earlier stages of the um, of the platform. Well, it, we got to bring you back on. This was such a great conversation, Professor um, Roger. Uh, Thank you for joining us as well. Um, thank you everyone for joining us on CISO Thursdays. We'll be sending replays out on LinkedIn, on YouTube. Uh, we're live on Twitch. Follow us on all the platforms. Give us 10 star ratings where possible. And we'll, we'll work with AJ to get him back on again um, when he has time, because this conversation was just amazing. We'll talk about his LinkedIn uh, tips and tricks again and keep this going. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. Have a great day.